if you just attend a worship service, you know, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because you're not giving yourself a chance to connect with people in a really meaningful way. You want to engage because it's not just that you need others, but others need you. Up till now, we've kind of been talking about engaging personally through interaction, but there's also a sense in which we engage with each other in service. There's about as many things to do as we have people in this church. So there's always something for everyone, right? Like there's ways for our youngest kiddos to get involved and there's ways for our, our youth, our middle schoolers and, and high schoolers to get involved. Staying engaged for a student means that they're going to have a safe place to come back to. They can stay engaged with friends who are like-minded, and that is just key to um, continuing their walk with Christ. One day, they're going to be those volunteers that are coming to church and helping in other areas. So we want to engage them and reach out to them. One of our big things right now of why to get involved is to connect. Engaging at Midland Free in children's ministry in BLAST is really about the families. You know, it, it can be very tough when you have little children to have opportunities to serve. The intent is for everybody to be engaged. So, of course, it's possible if someone would come in and just drop their kids off at Sunday school and go off and drink coffee at Starbucks. Not only are they going to miss out, they're going to uh, hurt other people because their presence in those small churches are going to make a big difference in other people's lives as well. We need each other to grow, and you grow closer to God, and oftentimes you grow closer to those other people. Midland Free is big enough to meet new friends every week, but small enough to find a really nice, tight community of believers and friends. And being a part of a group, being connected to people that you trust and that you care for and that you know care for you. It's it's kind of what keeps me going. You're going to walk through those doors and someone's going to see you and they're going to greet you. They might even hug you if you're cool with that. We don't want you just to go to the worship service because you could do that without engaging with other people. We want to get you plugged in. We want to get you started and we want to give other people an opportunity to connect with you and learn with you and engage with you. The best best thing to do, you know, for to, to join a small church is just to go. Where do you click? Where do you feel like you fit in? Everybody is ready to welcome you and embrace you. We're ready for you to come and engage and get connected. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to reach out and re-engage and reunite. And Lord, I just pray that as we get ready to look at your word this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me, that you would speak clearly, that you would take control of this mouthpiece and use your servant and your vessel uh, to bless your people. Uh, thank you for this spiritual food that you prepared for us this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would bless it to our local body. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Jeremy Lobdell. Thank you, sir. Welcome here. We are so glad you're here to worship with us. Um, this morning, we are continuing our sort of revamp, relaunch, get ready for the fall, coming out of COVID, excited about what God is doing. 
We're calling that by three R's, reunite, reengage, and reach out. And it's cute, it's memorable, but really we're trying to be intentional. We're in sync with our mission and vision, and we're also more than anything doing our very best to be biblical. Um, I like to preach from a text so I can do my very best to say what God says and not what I say. This morning's topical, so it's a little bit all over the place, a little bit different. Uh, in a couple weeks, we'll be resuming our um, book-driven series. That'll be the book of Ecclesiastes, which I think has some really cool stuff to say to us in this time in our culture where everything seems like vanity of vanities and we're searching for meaning and searching for purpose and people are arguing about what that is and we want to go to the scriptures and see what is God's wisdom and what does God's word say to us. But as we um, revamp and relaunch and reunite, um, today if I was choosing one spot to say this is where the sermon comes from today, it would be this. It would be 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 4.1. There's going to be some other scriptures along the way, but this is the big idea. And then those others sort of illustrate the point and drive it home. 1 Corinthians 4.1. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you did not bring one, you'll see the words up on the screen. If you're at home, you can watch along. It'll be there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But later he says, be imitators of me. So it applies to the church as well. This is how one should regard us. Who are we? We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Today, the sermon is going to move forward in three ways. As we re-engage with the body, um, we're going to basically ask, Who are we, what should we do, and why should we do it? Who are we, what should we do, and why should we do it? Who, what, and why? Who, what, and why this morning? And you can see that 1 Corinthians 4.1 already begins to answer some of that. And this is what it says. It says, this is how one should regard us, first of all, as servants of Christ. You'll probably remember last week I specifically said to you, trust Jesus, serve the church. This is continuing that idea or that concept. And here it is. Who are we? Servants of Jesus Christ. Now, most of the time in Scripture... um, What you see is what you get. But sometimes, if you dig a little bit deeper, you might find something that will surprise you. And the authors are being intentional. And this is actually one of those instances. Normally, the word for servant is douloi or doulos. And essentially, it is exactly that. It's a servant or a bond servant. Someone's committed themselves to another master or lord for the purpose of doing their will. Someone else's will, not their own. That is a servant. But here, you have a unique word which actually means under rower, under rower. It's a preposition combined with a verb that Paul unites to communicate a specific purpose. And this is why I think it's such a big deal to us as church members. If you look at their, like if you think of a a movie like Ben-Hur or something back in the day where they didn't have nuclear powered submarines or aircraft carriers or other cool stuff like that. Basically, the way you're going to move the boat along is either with wind or with your own muscles. And 
if there's no wind, therefore the, the only option is everybody grab an oar and row. I think that's one of the most beautiful illustrations of the church and the Christian life that there possibly is. Somehow, in the infinite wisdom of Almighty God, he decides for us as humanity to be a part of his purpose in accomplishing the mission of communicating the gospel to the world. Now, sometimes the wind is blowing, the spirit is moving. Get that wind, spirit. Okay, wind is blowing, spirit is moving, and the boat is sailing forward. And you're like, wow, we're doing nothing. This is amazing. Look what God is doing. It's just like happening. And that is so cool. Definitely my favorite way to go. But there are other times when it's like no wind, dead calm, hot sun, burning down. (laughs) What are we going to do? Grab an oar and row. Here's your option. Sometimes the Lord blows things along. Other times, it's used. A lot of times, it's a combination of both. It could be 60, 40, 80, 20, 10, 90, whatever. But somehow, in his infinite wisdom, God chooses to work his power through his spirit through us. And so the first thing that Paul calls out when he says, this is who we are, is says, we're servants, we're under rowers. He doesn't say, we're captains of the ship. We determine our own destiny. We'd like to say that when we, I'm my own captain. I determine my own destiny. I set sail and go where I want. No, no, he's like, you're in the galleys. You're a slave. You're going to sweat. You're going to suffer. You're going to work hard. You're not that much different than the person next to you. But if you all come together and everybody grabs an oar, then we will really make progress. That's how it works in the church. We're under rowers. Everybody grabs an oar. Everybody pulls. Number one, you are servants of Christ. Number two, you are stewards of the mystery of God. Notice it doesn't say you are the originators. You are the, you know, magical mastermind behind. No, it says you're stewards. This is some incredible thing that God has been doing from before the foundations of the world. This incredible mystery that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were only partially glimpsing. David's hinting at. The prophets are pointing to. But nobody really gets it until Jesus shows up on the scene. And then he does and they still don't get it. And he's here and he's come and he's gone and he's coming back again. And still... The mystery is hidden for so many. And yet it says, we who have grasped this truth by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, we are stewards. We've been entrusted with this gem, this pearl of great price, and it's lodged or sitting within us. You are stewards of this thing of great value, this infinite worth, this treasure has been given to you. You are stewards of it. And then 1 Timothy 3.16, the 3.16s are important, by the way. John 3.16, 1 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. They just happen to be important. I don't know why. Here it is. 1 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to expound this, and then I'm going to come back, and we'll read it together. It says, great indeed. We're still talking about this mystery. Great indeed, we confessed, is the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery? What is that thing that was kept hidden and not fully revealed for ages upon ages? Here it is. Here is the mystery of godliness. Listen to the Holy Spirit through Paul define it for you. The mystery of godliness is Christ. Jesus is the center of God's plan of redemption, creation, 
fall, restoration. He was manifested in the flesh. He who was eternal and infinite, always was and always will be at some point became what he was not. Flesh. He took on flesh. The mystery of the incarnation. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Then he was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Vindicated means... People accused him of stuff that wasn't true, but the spirit proved them wrong. They vindicated him. Jesus was accused of being a false teacher. The spirit vindicated him. Jesus was accused of working for demons. The spirit vindicated him. Jesus was accused of giving false testimony. Jesus was accused about lying about the temple. But the spirit vindicated him. How? Because when he was crucified, when he was killed for all those false accusations that people said he did that he did not, the spirit raised him from the dead. And when the spirit raised him from the dead, what that says is the father looking down saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If he wasn't his beloved son, he'd just leave him there in the grave. Who cares? You guys killed the wrong one. But this was the only one. And as such, the spirit says he does not stay there. And if you can't tell, I happen to be a little bit passionate about this one. Vindication is one of the most beautiful and powerful and majestic themes in all of scripture. This is where we place our hope in the resurrection. Why is Easter such a big deal? Because if it is not, we're all done. But if we are like Jesus, if we are following after him, that means we too will be falsely accused. We too will suffer and we too will die. But it doesn't end there. Because he is the first fruits and we follow after. And if we are one of his, then what happens to him happens to us. And we too get vindicated in the resurrection. I'm so excited about vindication. Vindication and resurrection is absolutely huge. And this is a mystery. Nobody gets this. Only Jesus can do it. Here is the resurrection. Here is the vindication. Here is the mystery being revealed. He was manifested in the flesh. God eternal infinite was brought down to this finite thing. And rolled up in one. He was vindicated by the Spirit. And then after he's resurrected, what happened? Acts tells us he was seen by angels. And then he was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world and taken up in glory. There is the gospel. Crucified, buried, risen, resurrected, ascended, and coming again. 1 Timothy 3.16. Here is the mystery. The good news of Jesus. That's big. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, it could, and that would be just fine. It would just be fine if it did. But it actually applies to us as well. And because of Christ's perfect work on the cross, what happens in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. In him, as a result of being under his umbrella, as a result of being adopted into the family of God, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the what? 
The mystery, there it is. Here's the mystery of God's infinite, eternal, perfect, unquenching, unstoppable will. That according to his purpose, which will never be thwarted, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and on earth. All things in him. All things in him. Think of how many bad things there are out there. No, don't think about that. It'll wreck you. We watch Afghanistan. We learn about the terrible things happening in our world. And yet somehow, in the infinite wisdom of God, all things are reconciled, redeemed, and restored because of the work of Christ. He is both just and the justifier. He is both merciful and judge. Who are we? Who are we, church? We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Number one, servants and stewards, who? Number two is what? Number two is what? Now, our church, we've written down a mission, so we've tried to define that a little bit for us as a specific body because the mission of the church as a whole is the same. It's no different from, for our church from any other. We're given that in Matthew with the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. But here's how we say it at our church to encompass this broad idea that applies to all of Christianity and also specifically to us. We enjoy and glorify God. We embrace his word. We engage the world. And led by the spirit, not in our own strength, but by his, everyone here should intentionally, actively, proactively welcome, plug in, and reach out. We enjoy and glorify God. We'll come back to that here in a second. But what we're talking about right now is plugging in. Reunite, then re-engage. Re-engage is plug in. Plug in, be a part of what's happening, what God is doing here at Midland Free. Grab an oar, row. Perhaps someday you'll be rowing and all of a sudden it's really easy and you realize the wind's at your back. Other days you're rowing right into the wind. Doesn't matter. You're rowing alongside a whole body that's all rowing together. We're going the same way, same direction, pursuing our Savior and glorifying Him. For, Romans tells us, as in one body, there are many members. And the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. Okay, I think you get it. We're switching analogies here. We went from the rower to a body. And I just wanted to show you this because obviously we're different. Someone of great wisdom the other day said something kind of funny. They said, um, God doesn't make superheroes. Right? He doesn't. Like we like to watch these incredible Marvel comics and other stuff like that. And we see those and we're like, yeah, I'm going to be a hero. That's so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Save the day. And we kindly and, and affirmingly call other people superheroes. But the reality is none of us are superheroes. God didn't make any of them. He only made one. And we are members of his body. And each member of the body has a specific function and duty. And there are some parts of the body that are not that seemly. But let me assure you, my experience over the last five years is that when those unseemly parts don't work, 
you hurt. You need every single part to be doing its job. And just because there are some parts that are more attractive than another doesn't mean any is less important. And if you have a body, you should know that. And if you don't, at some point you will. Every single part matters and every single part can hurt and the whole thing has to come together. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's another illustration. Earlier in chapter 4, he's talking about the rowers. Now in chapter 12, he's talking about the body. I'm just going to read this for you. I think you get it and you don't need much explanation. But hear this, the word of the Lord to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, says this. For just as the body is one, And has many members. And all the members of the body. Though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit. We were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks. Slaves or free. And all were made to drink. Of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member. But of many. And if the foot should say. Because I am not a hand. I do not belong to the body. That would make. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts Yet one body. Here's the point, church. Look, we're broad, we're diverse, we're different, but we're all essential. There's no such thing as an unimportant member of the body. They're just different parts. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says this. He says, you know, if, if the work of a charwoman and the work of the Beethoven were done with this with a spirit of humility, then they are both equally pleasing unto the Lord. One body, many parts, under rowers. Number one, what are we? We're under rowers or servants and stewards. Number two, what do we do? Use your gift. Here's the theme of today as we engage. Use your gift. Use it. And you may say, it's not that. Yes, it is. It's important. It's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. It's really a big deal. Use your gift. The body needs you. Number one, who are we? Number two, what do we do? Use our gift. Oh, and by the way, if you want to learn more about spiritual gifts, there's, let me, let me assure you, there's some really kooky, hokey pokey, weird stuff out there. And there's also some stuff that's biblical, theological, orthodox, and in line with the scriptures. If you need a place to start, a great website is gotquestions.org. Got questions. If you don't know what the answer is, just go to got questions, like got milk, got questions. And you type in the word spiritual gifts. They'll bring up lots and lots of articles. You can read the short article. And then at the bottom, it'll have other references that you can pursue if you want to read more. So my recommendation, if you want to learn more about spiritual gifts, is go to gotquestions.org. And just type in two words called spiritual gifts. And then you'll be able to go from there. 
So number one, who are we? Servants, stewards, under rowers. Number two, what do we do? Use our gift. And number three, why? Why? Who, what, why? Why? Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the cool thing. Not only did God give you a gift, but he actually like specifically made a specific task for you to do before you were born. He designed this task. And then after he's designed this task, he designs this person that will fit it. And he gives them exactly what they need to do it. And that doesn't mean they're going to walk in and be a superhero, remember? That may mean actually they struggle quite a bit to do that thing that he designed them to do. And they may not even think that they can do it. Why would God do something like that? If he designed a job for us, shouldn't he make it easy for us to do? Well, then what would we need him for? But God in his wisdom knows that here's a task and here's a calling. And if I make it so easy that you don't need me, you won't. But if I make it such that you realize my spirit is with you and I'm calling you towards it, then you have to trust me for it and depend on me to be able to do it. And that's what he did. He made each of us specific to do something for him in advance. And then he gave us the gifts to do it. And then there's this gap. And now he says, go do it. Don't just sit there and wait for the wind, but start rowing. It's your time. Come on. Reunite, re-engage, reach out. What does this do? This builds up the body. First Corinthians goes on to talk more and more about that with that body analogy. You know, if one part is working hard, it'll help the other. If your legs are moving along, that's going to help your heart and lungs. If your heart and stop, lungs stop, it won't help your legs very much. I'm not a doctor, and even I know that. Build up the body, use your job, and then it'll not only benefit the body, but it will also benefit you. John Piper, another one of my favorite authors, says it like this. He says this. I think we have a slide, perhaps. Piper says, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. God is most Glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. If you look at our mission and vision earlier, we said to enjoy and glorify God. If you look at the historic confessions of the Christian faith, we ask ourselves the question, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God. And some of us look at that, we read it and think, man, is that boring? I don't want to do that. That means like holiness and all the good stuff and fun stuff I have to leave out. What that is, is that's our sinful flesh talking to us. And we don't realize the fact that when we want to be most fulfilled, we do what God has called us to do. And when the enemy lies to us and says there's something more fulfilling, if we chase after that, all of a sudden we're dissatisfied and sad. But if we say no to the calls of the flesh, which calls us away from what God wants us to do, and yes to him, then we are most satisfied when we are most fulfilled in Christ. And everything else disappoints. Vanity of vanities. Listen to the preacher say. Everything else will disappoint. But God is most glorified 
when we are most satisfied in him. That's why our mission at Midland Free is to enjoy and glorify God, which will also benefit us. Embrace his word and engage the word led by the spirit from the front door to the back. Everyone here should be welcoming, should be plugging in and reaching out. Reunite, re-engage, reach out. Who? Servants and stewards. What? Use your gift. Why? Because it builds up the body, glorifies God, and satisfies us. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for your word, which is true. Lord, you have given us this incredible mystery. What a beautiful thing, God. How joyful it is to be one of your own. Lord, please help me, help us to find our satisfaction in Christ, in Christ alone. And may we bring glory to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.